Hi, I'm Kian. And I'm Romina. And you're listening to Sci Section on 93.3 CFMU. We are here today with Dr. Matt Davison, who's the Dean of the Faculty of Science at Western University. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Davison. It's really my pleasure. Alrighty, to start, we do have two rapid fire questions for you. Firstly, who is one of your role models in the scientific community? So there's an American mathematician called Richard Hamming, and he uh, was the author of, of a lot of really influential textbooks. Um, one called Digital Filters, which I discovered when I was a second year student working in a lab for a summer. Uh, and it really, it kind of changed my life by, by changing my path from engineering to applied math and really understanding why that was so exciting. And I've, I re-engaged with his work over and over again over my years and kept on finding he was writing books in areas that I was interested in. Um, so he's probably someone that, that a lot of people haven't heard of. Uh, but for those with any kind of interest in the mathematical side of engineering or the practical side of math, I really encourage you to Google him and take a look. That sounds awesome. And uh, our second question, what do you think has been one of the most important scientific discoveries of all time? It's something called continuous time finance. And it's the, uh, it's the idea of using um, mathematics to continuously rebalance portfolios to remove all the risk from them. And I think it's been so influential because it's taken a field of study, that of finance, a field of human endeavor, and transformed it from something that was traditionally not thought to be science at all, thought to be some type of, you know, qualitative discipline or maybe even some kind of black magic kind of thing. Um, and it turned it into a, a really quite a much a branch of, of mathematics. Um, and it's, a, it's an area where there are many, many science PhDs working uh, in industry, and it's transformed that entire subject. And it did it in a very interesting way. It did it by, by, making, by somehow finding a really clever way to factor out a lot of the complexity of human life and to make the question really simple. And because the, the question became simple enough, it could also become really quantitative and get really deep along a very simple um, a very simple front of endeavor. So I, I think that's a, been a very influential thing. Well, it certainly does sound amazing and hopefully more students will definitely look into it after hearing your response too. And now moving on to your profession, could you give us a summary of your educational path and how it led you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, so I, I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario and I was telling Ken earlier that I, I listened to CFMU growing up. Um, and after high school, I, uh, I went to the University of Toronto where I studied a program called Engineering Science, which was a, a sort of a mixture of math, physics, and engineering. Um, specialized within that further in, in geoscience, uh, exploration geophysics. And so I kind of got a fairly broad exposure to many different things. And that's uh, helped me out a lot actually in my current role of Dean of Science because I have a feeling for a lot of the different pieces of my faculty. Um, I, after that I did a PhD in applied math um, and, and uh, followed that up with, a, with postdoctoral research in, uh, in physiology actually, in mathematical physiology in, in Europe. Um, and that was the late 90s, and it wasn't really all that easy to get an academic job at the time. And, and I actually had an opportunity to go work, uh, go work at an investment bank. Um, and that's where I learned about 
quantitative finance and this continuous time finance I was sharing with earlier. Um, did that for a few years and then a faculty position emerged at Western, which is where I'd done my PhD. Uh, and I got invited to apply for it and, and I've been at Western ever since. That sounds awesome and really inspiring actually. Um, so with your position right now, it would be a success story and a lot of us as students actually usually get fascinated by success or the end product without knowing all the challenges that were faced along the way. Uh, so I'm sure being at your position right now did not happen easily. Uh, so can you tell us about some of the challenges you faced along the way as a student? So I don't really want to overstate the challenges. I've been, I've been very fortunate in my own life. I, I grew up in an academic family, so academia was very supported um, all the way along by my by my family and and I didn't grow up in, I grew up in a financially stable situation. When I was a student, uh, university was cheap. Um, I still got scholarships and so I didn't have any really, any real challenges at that stage. Um, I think everyone faces challenges in their life. They're at different points and they're in different ways. Um, I think for me, the challenges were later in my career as I, as I sort of um, expanded my idea of what it was to be a scientist from doing my own individual research to trying to, to be a department chair and a dean and to try to lead other people and, and inspire them. And uh, whenever there's people involved, there's always opportunities for great things and there's also opportunities for, for difficulties. And, and so maybe, maybe if I face challenges, it's been being in the later stage of my career more so than at the beginning, which was very smooth for me. Yeah, and it also goes to show, like, as a dean and with your profession, you clearly have such a busy lifestyle. So what activities do you rely on to balance your professional life? Yeah, so um, I probably don't have the most balanced life. I have to, I have to admit, I, I do spend a lot of time working. Um, I... I do like spending time with my family. I have um, I have two two sort of sons, one in university and one in grade twelve. Um, and so uh, my two sons, my wife and I, we there's many things we like to do together. Um, I like to ride. I like to ride my bicycle. I like to go hiking. I like to listen to music and I like to to read novels. So they're not the most exciting hobbies, but that's that's what it is. That's what I got. And I like to spend a lot of time with friends. That sounds awesome. Uh, a lot of us students in Canada, or we can say North America, um, have this sort of uh, stigma around math, and they think it is hard and it's not for them. Why do you think that is then? Do you think uh, our education system is to blame here, or are there any ways we can fix this stigma around math? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. Um, and, and I know that um, many people... When, whenever I meet people, um, I usually I usually try to postpone the time when I when I have to tell them that what I do for a living because it's it's awkward. And in fact, um, I my my son was on a hockey team and I managed to avoid the conversation for almost four years with people about what I did for a living and and just sort of kept it that I did something at the university and who really knew what that was, right? Um, because the people are. are when you say you're a mathematician, you get two responses. One is that, you know, you must be smart, which is just 
embarrassing, right? And the other, which is I, I hate math, right? Every once in a while, um, I was getting my hair cut in Mississauga once years and years ago, and I told the hairdresser um, what I did, and she said math was my favorite subject. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're like one in, a, one in a thousand person to say that, right? Um, but for the most part, you hear I hate math. And I, I, I don't quite understand why people hate math so much, except for the fact that I think it's often so, so black and white uh, and so cut and dried and so right and wrong that it, it's challenging for people to find it interesting for so many years. And then later, they, later when they start seeing how powerful it is, they, they realize they, they kind of can't go back to learning the pieces because they feel like it's too late. I don't think it actually is too late, but they feel like it is. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a challenge. And it's a challenge for the development of a lot of people's um, scientific potential in some ways. Yeah. For sure. I feel like around math and science in general, there has been this stigma that it is for like a select group of people, while really there are so many applications within them that it is something that everyone can enjoy as long as they're willing to explore and learn a little bit about it. So hopefully after hearing this interview and hearing your perspective, more students become open-minded to math and science and allow themselves to discover all these possibilities within them. So. And speaking of students, I know for all of us university students, this upcoming term is going to be certainly unique with the remote learning experience. So do you have any tips or advice for students going into this online university style? Yeah, so uh, there are actually some advantages in, in things being online, uh, particularly when it's asynchronous online and you can you can take the time you need at a lecture and, and not sort of feel that as sometimes we all feel in lectures that after the first half hour, you're like, I'm so lost. I can't, I have no idea what's going on. You can, you can pause it. You can go back. You can take a minute to search the internet for other references. Um, and, and that's a good thing. Um, I do think we also have to recognize that we're doing this not completely because we want to, but because we have to, um, and, and there are some, obviously, some drawbacks. So I think one of the drawbacks is, is that people um, tend to lose the connection with their fellow students. Um, and a really great way to learn is to learn with, with a group of classmates and have study groups or have problem-solving sessions together, study for exams together. Um, and it's a lot easier. Historically, universities have made that kind of easy particularly for students lucky enough to live on campus because they have a community that they're actually living with as well as studying with. Um, but even for students who are living off campus, they're still coming to campus every day and they're still running into people and, you know, uh, they can get together. When it's, when it's remote, you may, you may be studying at, at UBC, but, but living in, you know, I don't know, Kingston and your classmates may be all over the North America, and you're not, it's gonna be much harder to replicate that, you know, working together group, um, which has social, which has challenges for, for your mood and your, your sort of all, to, all over health, like mental health, I would say, as well as for your educational background. So I guess my number one advice would be to try and reach out to 
people as much as you can and try and make those connections. And I fully understand that it's way harder than it was, you know, in the face-to-face -face situation. But that just means you have to work harder to, to somehow make it happen. So that, that would be my number one piece of advice for the online, the online world. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of students appreciate hearing that from you. Uh, that does bring us to the end of this interview. Dr. Davison, thank you once again for joining us today and highlighting the importance of science and math. For everyone thank listening, make sure to check out our podcast available on global platforms as well as iHeartRadio. Thank you, Kian and Romina. Appreciate your time.